Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And we'll get on that call at 4 p.m. And 350 CEOs are on that call. People are making time. Here's what we need in order to accomplish essential tasks. It's, it's an open dialogue. From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. On today's show, you're going to hear from my good friend, Bruce Kozad, the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Jazz Pharmaceuticals. And no, this is not a conversation about the glamorous pharmaceutical industry and all of its unique, shall we say, facets worthy of endless discussion. No, I wanted to talk to Bruce as my friend, my peer, my fellow founder and CEO about leadership during COVID and all the other crazy shit going on right now. There's no handbook for this. There's no cookie cutter recipe and some book on the shelf to tell you what to do. How do you manage a crisis like this when you run a critical business in a critical industry while the world is on fire? And he's a co-founder. This is his baby. His thousands of stakeholders are his family. Challenges, opportunities, empathy, compassion, gratitude, mental health, internal, external communication, supply chain, lessons learned, peer support, being an anchor, all of this and more on today's show. Enjoy. Bruce, I'm so thrilled to have you, uh, I would say, back on the show, but it's a different show, and we will put a link in the description to this episode about when we first interviewed each other. Technically, that was a dual interview on the Stupid Cancer Show several years ago, but I really wanted to have you back to specifically talk to you about COVID and leadership, and I don't know how many people know this about you, that you you are the co-founder of Jazz, and you've been at the helm for 11 years, and it gives you a sense of almost like paternal concern as a founder. This has been your baby for a very long time and you've watched it grow up and it's been through its ups and downs like any business has, but you're now in an odd position as a leader of a company you helped create that has affected every person in your family. Can you briefly talk about the shock and awe you went through as this was creeping up and Gavin Newsom's warnings in California? Yeah, Matt. So it's good to be sort of back if this is a different show, uh, but good to be with you <laughs> yes. again. And you're right. I did co-found the company back in 2003 and stepped into the CEO role in 2009. And I like your your uh, your term of, of paternal concern. And, and I do feel that uh, in a good way uh, and in a in a heavy way, uh, being responsible for the patients we take care of and being responsible for the employees of the company and some responsibility to the communities in which we operate. And um, I hope all leaders feel that right now uh, because I think leadership is really important during this time. 
as as we came into February and March and had a sense that a big storm cloud was headed for us, you know, I think we took the right early moves and put together a team to monitor, to come up with proactive protocols we could put in place. And we acted early. And I, I'd love to, you know, pat myself on the back and say our team was just prescient. But honestly, some of that, Matt, is just because we operate a facility in northern Italy in the Lombardy region, which was particularly hard hit uh, early on, really before the U.S. And so we were already confronting issues of how do you get critical drugs out of Italy that we manufacture in Italy to treat people around the world? It turns out that was easier than getting critical drugs into Italy at that time to treat patients in Italy. Uh, but also how do we maintain safety of our employees? And so we confronted a lot of those issues early in Italy and then applied our, our learnings uh, globally. So we actually did shut down our U.S. operations, actually worldwide uh, effective March 16th. Uh, we made that call the week before that we'd all be working remotely. Uh, and I think that was the right thing to do. We've continued caring for patients. We've continued taking care of our employees and, and we're getting a lot of things done. Yeah, I, I, that's exceptional. And yeah, I should have led with you are an international organization that has footprints in many, many countries. You affect millions of patients around the world. And supply chain is all that. It's the start and finish of delivery of care to the end user. So from, from the perspective, did you work with governments? How did you gain insight into the uniqueness of how you were going to, I guess, uh, adapt the ways you did business in those countries? Yeah, well, one thing I'll say is, uh, you know, unlike other crises leaders may have managed through, this was essentially a worldwide crisis, right? Everyone was dealing with the same situation, and in some ways that makes it hard, but in some ways it makes it easy. And when I say it makes it easy, governments were having to think through these things just as we were. And I think a lot of governments, while we can complain about the things we don't like, a lot of governments did a lot of things right. And one of the things they did right was an early recognition of what's an essential business and what's non-essential. And they made clear from the beginning, we will keep essential services going. And those essential services include manufacturing life-saving products and shipping that, right? It's the shipment companies I worried about too. What if FedEx drivers uh, decide or pilots decide they don't want to go into work, right? How does the medicine literally get uh, through the supply chain, but all the way to the patient? Uh, and patients depend on that. We saw some, um, I think, understandable hoarding behavior on the part of uh, patients. They tried to get bigger refills of their prescriptions because they were worried about their ability to access uh, medicine. And so being as clear as we could with the uh, healthcare professionals with patients, with patient advocacy groups, in public statements about what our situation was in terms of ability to reliably supply product uh, was important to take care of our patients. So the old saying, you can't help the world till you help yourself. You're a leader. You have numerous stakeholders looking to you for guidance and hope and aspiration and direction. What did you have to do internally for yourself to prepare if anything at all, on how you are going to mentally go through this running everything? Yeah, well, the, the first thing is to not feel sorry for yourself and, and to remember that 
Uh, there are always people who have it tougher than, than you do. In this case, I would say almost everyone. Um, and when you look at uh, what was going on uh, with the health status of people directly impacted by COVID-19, uh, when you look at businesses that were essentially shut down, um, uh, some of which may not recover, you know, you have to remind yourself what you've got that's working. And, and for me and for our employees, it was reminding all of them that the work we do is essential. And I don't just mean in the, uh, in, in the current regulatory framework, but what we do matters. It matters to people and their lives. And our company is continuing to operate. We need to find new ways to get things done, but, but we have an important job to do. We're fortunate in that regard. We were not looking at laying off employees, furloughing employees, cutting salaries. We were instead asking, how do we continue to do the essential things we do and do them well in a new environment? When it came to uh, you know, my feeling of responsibility, I, I did feel it was important to communicate often and directly with employees. And in my case, that's involved things like uh, recording a weekly video for my employees. And when I say recording a video, I mean, I literally pull out my iPhone. I do my own hair and makeup. I'm kidding. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I record typically in one take, no script, uh, a message to employees. And then I hit send to all employees. And I feel more connected, not less connected to employees in this, in this new strange virtual world. And what I thought I was doing, Matt, was taking care of my employees. I thought, I'm going to reassure them. I'm going to inspire them. And I should have seen this coming, but I didn't. They turned out to inspire me. So the, the emails I got back from not every one of our 1,600 employees, but from many of them, were very personal, uh, thanking me for my messages, telling me that unlike what usually happens, in the office, of course, they're working from home now. They actually sat down with their families and watched these videos. And, you know, suddenly it's kids understanding a little better what mom or dad do. Uh, it's, the, it's a spouse. Uh, it's a significant other that now understands what you do. Um, and they wrote me back inspirational notes about how, how proud they are to work for this company, how proud they are of the mission we serve of improving patients' lives, how they're innovating to get things done. And so, you know, I sent out this one message to help this broad group of employees, and they sent me back more than I ever sent them. You know, I, I think it was either Jack Welch or Lee Iacocca's book, but someone once said, you don't hire people to tell them what to do. You hire people to learn from them. And Absolutely. It, and, and I've been practicing that uh, my entire career building companies. And it's it just a testament to that practice. That philosophy really does work if you approach it with empathy and appreciation. I'm, I'm just curious from a logistics perspective, how did you actually get 1,600 people uh, comfortably accommodated to work from home? Well, I won't say we went 1,600 for 1,600, but <laughs> you know, for most, for most of our employees, uh, we just made sure they had the technology uh, they needed. And, and kudos to our information technology group. They just jumped on this. We didn't ask questions. We didn't ask approvals. We just sent computer equipment to people that needed it. Uh, in some cases, we took it from the office because it wasn't needed in the office. But we just made sure everyone had the setup they needed. If they needed more uh, internet speed than they had at home, we paid for it. If they needed a webcam, we shipped it to them. 
uh, our IT team quickly rolled out multiple online collaboration tools, uh, some of which we used. We, we were a WebEx user pre-COVID-19, but we rolled out Zoom. We rolled out Microsoft Teams. Um, you know, we just enabled people to get up a learning curve really quickly to use technology to help us operate in this environment. And, you know, you learn fast that that technology existed pre-COVID-19. We just didn't know how to use it. Now we know how to use it and we can do more than we could pre-COVID-19. Yeah. I mean, we have to take advantage of what we took for granted that if this were 10 years ago, we'd be living on Friendster and that would just not work for any company trying to figure (laughs) out how to make this work. Uh, I do want to make it a little personal because we have something in common. uh, You and my dad, Uh, when I was in college, uh, my dad was happily waiting for me to just move to LA. That was the plan. I was going to graduate, go to LA and I got sick and had to move home. And he was like a combination of a, I'm, I'm here to help you because you're sick and we're going to get you better. But also, oh, for God's sakes, 18 years of this and now some more. I remember the last time we spoke to your son with either going to college or, or, or in college already. And, and colleges are closed now and your family is home now. What's that been like for you to transition to a situation where there may be a lot of gratitude because you get to spend time with your family, but is there really family fatigue? Um. Not yet. <laughs> I don't want to be. I don't want to be overconfident. It'll never happen. But uh, it has been great to spend more time with family, and I think that's one thing that I and other employees across the company have talked about wanting to retain uh, as we get through this together. Um, and I'm not saying all kids home from college all the time, but uh, spending more time as a family. Having less, uh, you know, having fewer of us on planes, uh, you know, going to distant meetings and being gone for a night or a week or two weeks, uh, you know, nobody heading out to meet their friends at a restaurant, but the family having dinner together. There's some good in that. And I think it's it's uh, helped remind all of us the important role loved ones play, people that actually share living space play in our lives uh, and maybe some of us were taking that for granted a little bit before this. It has really analogued humanity a little bit, if you if you agree with that. And even though we're kind of stuck on Zoom now a lot more than we may have wanted to be, I never felt uh, such a stronger desire to want to spend as much time with my parents as possible. And I couldn't physically see them for three months. And finally, the weather got nice and I went to their house for the first time. And I sat in the backyard, you know, 6, 10, 40, whatever feet they were comfortable sitting away from them. And I sat and had like a regular conversation with them. Are you in a, in, a, in a mode now with family members or friends and obviously your employees who are your family that you just physically need to see people? Uh, so yes and no. Uh, we just did a similar session with my wife's parents uh, who live here locally uh, over the long weekend. Uh, same thing, sitting far apart from them, but talking in person, reading body language, you know, laughing, um, not feeling like you're constrained in the same way you feel when you're on a phone call or even a Zoom chat. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really do enjoy that. But I'll also say, Matt, that as I've been, you know, Zoom calling uh, with employees around the world, I feel more connected to them, not less. Uh, 
you know, the fact that their kids run through the background or, or interrupt them or that the cat climbs up on the table or the dog barks or, uh, you know, whatever, you know, you're getting to know people as people, not just employees. And in, in this, in the, uh, in the realm of geography doesn't matter right now, uh, it's as easy to get together with somebody who's across the country or across the world as it is somebody down the street. And that has really changed how you group people in communications. So, you know, I used to do something uh, back when we worked in offices way back in, in March of 2020. You know, I used to do breakfast with Bruce where I would take a collection of employees, largely newer employees, but some more tenured employees mixed in across departments. And I'd get together for 90 minutes and we'd chat about their experiences, um, me getting a read on what they're seeing in the culture of the company, and but also sharing some information about why we do things the way we do them at Jazz Pharmaceuticals. And, you know, the grouping for that breakfast was obvious. It was people in the Palo Alto office, people in the Philadelphia office. And my assistant, Emily, set up a breakfast with Bruce recently, and she realized it didn't matter where the employees were. So I've been doing breakfast with Bruce now, virtually, with employees from all over the globe. It's a different way of grouping. Uh, my college reunion, I won't tell you which one, but it, it's a big number, <laughs> would, have been this, would have been this past weekend. Uh, I went to Yale. I sang in a singing group. And the 14 of us that sang together, all members of one class in the Whiffenpoofs, uh, had not been all together uh, since, well, this will tell you how old I am, since 1986 or 1987, we can't pin down the year more specifically than that. We've had 11 of us together. We've had 12 of us together. We've even had 13 of the 14 together. But the 14 of us had never been in one place at one time. And we wouldn't have all been together this weekend. We, again, would have had 11, 12, or 13. But virtually, all 14 of us got together. And we've been together a couple times on Zoom chats. We actually recorded separately and then stitched together uh, a song that was played for our class at the reunion this past Saturday night. So again, geography doesn't matter, right? These, these 14 guys, me, me included, are scattered around the country and the world right now, but we can get together. So it's, it's changed who you can interact with more easily. Back with our guest after the break. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
Yeah, it, it's in a sense, it's, it's humanized the digital nature of civilization. I almost feel like what this pandemic has caused is, is uh, like an ebb tide. The ocean went way back and revealed everything that was underneath it by the beach for miles at a time. And you're really seeing humanity. I mean, I, I'm from my cockeyed optimistic perspective, the majority of humanity is really coming and showing its, its, its merits. Uh, a question for you. As a CEO in a major industry, in the pharmaceutical industry, have you had contact or any kind of peer-to-peer advice with your colleagues at the same level of industry? Have they been looking to you or have you been giving advice on here's how I handle this? How did you handle this? Uh, yes. And it's it's two-way, right? We're all learning from each other. So just picking up the phone and calling another CEO, and by the way, not just CEOs in our industry. Uh, I've talked to a friend who's uh, who runs a medical device company. You know, what are you doing to keep your employees safe? How are you handling uh, complications people have in their work life? Are you coming up with policies? Are you giving managers discretion? How are you handling R&D in your labs? Um, you know, very, very specific things. Um, and I think we all feel, since we're all learning at the same time, that there's extra value in check-ins uh, with people. We also have, you know, I've got members of my executive team whose who's significant others also work in our industry. And there's just much more sharing right now. Here's what my husband's company is doing. Or, you know, I've got a, I've got a daughter that works for another pharmaceutical company. Here's what her company is doing. Um, so lots of sharing. Uh, I'll, I'll say I'm a member of a group out here in, in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area called Silicon Valley Leadership Group which consists of the CEOs of, you know, roughly 350 of the larger employers in our area, not industry specific, although, as you can imagine, lots of tech and lots of biotech or biopharma. And, you know, it's an industry or, you know, it's a community business organization. And, you know, there are occasional meetings that some people come to and some people don't. But what's happening during COVID-19 is they'll say, we're going to get together tomorrow at 4 p.m. and we're going to put on the phone the, the mayor of San Jose and the the head of the uh, county board of supervisors to talk about their shelter in place orders and we can learn from them and they can learn from us and we'll get on that call at 4 p.m. and 350 CEOs are on that call. That's now, incredible. You never could have scheduled that in person. Never. No. Uh, but people are making time to learn from each other and to share best practices. And I have to say, again, complimenting uh, governments at a local level, you know, the governments are listening as, as CEOs of these organizations and say, here's what we need in order to accomplish essential tasks that you're, you as the government are going to want us to do. Here are different proposals we have for ways that could work. It's it's an open dialogue, and I've I've really seen better solutions because we have more people uh, contributing to getting to those better solutions. I mean, yeah, take the news media out, out of this. This is literally a raw conversation of pure optimism, the rising tide mentality that there is collaboration. There is a level of getting together to solve this. All of us, we're in this together. I, I, I was, I, I'm not, not unsurprised, but it's even more gratifying to hear it from your, from your voice that this is really happening. 
Uh, super last question, because we're both musicians, and I'm envious of your friends, and you're not envious of my friends, but I wanted to know, what's on your playlist these days going through these, these incredible times? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, uh, when I said early in the call, I feel really lucky. Uh, I mean that. And uh, when I say that there are others who are not so fortunate, way up on that list for me are artists. Uh, and I'm, uh, as you can tell from the name of the company, Jazz Pharmaceuticals, music is important to me. And I sit on the board of SF Jazz. You know, I have a bunch of friends who are who are musicians, you know, Broadway stars. And the world is a bleak place uh, for them right now uh, without the ability to perform. Uh, you know, if you're a solo performer, if you're a, a painter, a poet, uh, somebody who plays the piano and sings, you, you can do some things right now. If you're part of a chorus, you can't get together and sing right now. Uh, if you're part of an orchestra, you can't get together and play. If you're part of a jazz combo, you can't get together and play. Uh, and even when it may be safe for those groups to get together, it's probably going to be a while before we pack an audience into a confined space to enjoy the experience of live arts, live theater, live music, uh, ballet, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, I really, I really feel for these people. And I feel back to your question, Matt, I feel like the arts are something that inspire us and help us process the world around us. Uh, visual arts, uh, audio arts, uh, so I am listening to more music lately. I, I've been going back and forth between classical jazz, uh, the music of my youth, uh, which I think all of us tend to have a special place in our hearts for. Um, and I, I've been playing more music. I've been honestly playing the piano and singing more than I, I would have in my pre-COVID-19 days. Uh, it's a way for me of relaxing, of being creative. I do some good thinking at a subconscious level, I think when I'm, uh, when I'm playing and singing and, uh, uh, it's been great to share that with the family, all of whom are stuck here listening to me, whether they want to or not, <laughs> Yes, because they can't get out of here. Um, so there's, there's something for me very magical and very healing about music. I agree. So the answer to the question is you're only listening to my albums and I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, so you, you just sparked one more question for me. Does does your family at Jazz know that you're a jazz? Have they seen you play? Will Breakfast with Bruce be a serenade one day? You know, it's interesting. Uh, many of them do know it and have seen me. Uh, when Back when we used to do in-person meetings, you know, particularly big meetings, meetings of, you know, hundreds of employees at a time, uh, multi-day meetings, we typically make sure there's a piano on the grounds of wherever we're meeting. And uh, at night, it would be pretty common for me to sit down uh, and play the piano and sing. Not so much as a solo performer for their for their benefit, but as an accompanist and, and sparking the joy of music for groups. So I'd play things that people know and could sing along with. <clears throat> so Billy Joel, Elton John... George Gershwin, Cole Porter, Broadway musicals, rock, pop, you know, you name it. And my particular talent on the piano is I can sight read anything. So I just bring lots of music and put it out on tables and 
let people choose what they wanted to hear uh, or what they wanted to sing if they were so bold. Uh, and we'd, uh, we'd play and sing into the evening. That said, uh, for people who've only seen me in an office, in our Dublin office, uh, in our Oxford, UK office, in our Philadelphia office, uh, we don't have pianos in those offices. I do have one in, in our California office. Um, so they probably hadn't heard me play. And, and one of my first uh, little iPhone recordings I did for employees, uh, we were trying to encourage people to make sure they take care of themselves, find something that rejuvenates you, including the arts. Uh, and I was asked, what do you do to unwind? And so I decided I'd take my iPhone into the other room, not my study, but uh, the room where I have my pride and joy, which is a, a concert grand piano. And I recorded myself playing and singing and I sent it out to employees. And I did get a lot of reaction like, oh, my God, I didn't know you could do that. Right. Um, I will say <laughs> yeah. I have I have avoided making this a weekly thing. I don't want this to become the Bruce Song and Dance Show. Uh, I really want to be talking about the importance of our business. But it was humanizing. And again, it sparked great conversations with employees who talked about the fact that they've taken up an instrument for the first time or they're going back to doing something they loved. I've been getting lots of people sending me clips of their kids, you know, playing and singing something on the piano. So it's become another way to share our, our common humanity during a difficult time. So in conclusion, just be wary of ever taking requests. <laughs> Bruce Kozad is chairman, chief executive, and co-founder of Jazz Pharmaceuticals. It is a pleasure to call you my friend and a privilege to have worked with you and Jazz for so many years. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thank you, Matt. It was a real pleasure. That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com. <laughs> <laughs>